Late Night Conversations, Monday to Thursday, 10 p.m. till midnight. This part of the program is not suitable for sensitive listeners and for anyone under the age of 18. Note that the views expressed on this show are not that of the station or the presenter. Closet Conversations. Let's welcome our A-team guest, Dr. Kent Pluck, an experienced urologist. Dr. Kent, thank you very much for joining us. Good evening. Good evening, Patricia. How are you doing? Well, strong. How are you, Doc? I'm very well, thank you. But like a little bit past my bedtime, but uh, good to (laughs) glad to be up and uh, to be able to perhaps help some uh, listeners uh, answer some uh, some difficult and uh, often personal questions. Thank you very much for giving us your time, sacrificing your sleep. We really appreciate it. So, you know, I thought there'd only just be one problem when it comes to ejaculation. Um, maybe that would be the fact that you don't ejaculate. But it seems that there's a couple of uh, uh, ejaculatory problems that men do experience. Please take us through them. So, so, say that last part again. Please take us through what sort of problems that males experience when it comes to ejaculation. Yes, I think you alluded to the fact that, uh, as you like you said, there's not just one problem. The issue of uh, what you're talking about, uh, an ejaculation, or sometimes may refer to, can be retrograde ejaculation. But there are a number of issues with uh, ejaculation. So the most common one that you know seems to bother most men. Um, at some point in their life, is something called premature ejaculation. And this essentially is an inability to delay an orgasm or an ejaculation. Um, and often this leaves, the, uh, leaves the, the man unsatisfied and often more so psychologically because he thinks that he's not satisfying his partner. So that's what they call premature ejaculation. And of course, then the one that you alluded to is where we have something called an ejaculation where Someone may experience the feeling of an orgasm, but then nothing seems to, to, to come out. And this can be further divided into retrograde ejaculation, where in fact the semen is not ejaculated out, but rather into the bladder. Uh, and then, it, or it may be rather something where the, the ejaculatory ducts are blocked, uh, and in which case there won't actually be an ejaculate. And then, of course, there's the, the more rare condition where you have an inhibited or hypoactive uh, or what's called a prolonged orgasmic disorder, where the male uh, or female, in fact, has an inability to reach an orgasm or climax with a partner. And this may be um, situational, so in other words, it might only be um, that they cannot um, reach orgasm during sexual intercourse, um, but are able to do so um, you know, during masturbation or oral, or oral sex. Or it may be um, just in a complete lack um, to or inability to reach an orgasm. So really, those are the three categories that one can sort of divide orgasmic disorders or disorders of orgasm into. I've heard of something called retrograde ejaculation. What's that? Yes, so retrograde ejaculation is far more common than one actually might think, and it usually affects um, elderly males. And there's two specific situations that I think we should touch on, perhaps three. The first one would be men who have had an operation to their bladder neck, either as an infant, as a child, or as an adult as part of a prostate operation, which may have either been for a cancer or for just an enlarged prostate. So if they've undergone an operation, they will often experience retrograde ejaculation, where the ejaculate, in fact, is instead of um, is being forced, propelled outward from the urethra, 
outward, it is actually propelled inward into the bladder. And then what what uh, the males often say they experience is that when they go and urinate later, they see that their urinate their urine is a bit milky, and that is actually the semen that has been uh, now in the bladder. And like I said, there are other causes for that. A common one, in fact, is medication that we put patients on, um, in fact, to, to overcome the symptoms of, of, of prostate problems. And then, of course, medications that men, typically men use, for example, for high blood pressure can also cause this retrograde ejaculation. So, in fact, there's quite a range of you know, medications uh, and, uh, like I said, surgeries that may be a cause of this retrograde ejaculation. The last cause, of course, may be patients who have some sort of um, neurological deficit. And, in fact, this is common in males who have diabetes for a long time. So the nerve endings to the bladder neck are affected, and that, for that reason, they often have a bit of retrograde ejaculation. So they may not be on any medication that causes it. It might just be part of diabetes, in fact. So, uh, uh, Doc, I always love to understand that um, every medical problem has some sort of signs and symptoms, but it also has some sort of treatment. So for the problems that you have just uh, gone through, what sort of treatment options are there for patients who are experiencing these problems? So, look... um it depends, you know. So let's we can start again with the retrograde ejaculation. Mm-hmm. So often it's trying to identify what the cause is. Unfortunately, so the first part of treatment, I always say, is to make the patient understand what the problem is. Because, you know, often when patients come to me uh, and they sit in my office and say, Doc, you know, I'm not ejaculating. This is completely abnormal. And, and then when you break it down and you realize that maybe they've had a prostate operation or they're on the medication, or they're diabetic, and you kind of tell them, well, this is actually what's happening. It's just retrograde ejaculation. And sort of make them understand what the problem is, that it's not a serious issue, you know. It's something that's not going to kill them. It's just, you know, and, you know something that they can, in fact, live with quite normally. Then that is already 99% of the problem solved because often the reason the patients come to you is because they're concerned. And if you can sort of quell their concerns and make them understand that this is, in fact, a normal sort of normal part of what, what the process, normal process is of aging, then that, then that can sort of put their mind at ease and at 99% of, of solving the problem. There is unfortunately not much medication one can take to certainly... Uh, solve something like retrograde ejaculation besides obviously stopping medication that might be the cause in the first place or controlling your diabetes. So retrograde ejaculation is a very difficult one to to stop. There are over-the-counter medications, something called alpha stimulants, mm-hmm. so alpha receptor stimulants which one can use to, to, to stop or try and prevent retrograde ejaculation and how those things work, they actually cause um, contraction of the bladder neck muscle fibers in the blood and it, which may improve symptoms of retrograde ejaculation specifically. So, but then again, mm-hmm. like I said, there are other causes of you know, other ejaculatory issues, for example, and ejaculation. Doc, before you go to the other ones and their, their, their uh, treatments, for a person who's got this retrograde uh, ejaculation issue, uh, would it be difficult for them to, to uh, uh, bear children? That's a good question. So, I mean, that is the, the, the fortunate thing is that most of the time this affects elderly men who are, have usually completed their families. 
But like I said, if they're actually wanting to fall pregnant, then you can try medication to try and stimulate the blood and neck to close. But like I said, most of these are actually patients who have either had urethral surgery or blood and neck surgery, and in that case, the medication won't work. Fortunately for them, there is always a way. You know, science always have a, has a way of working these things out. So for patients who have retrograde ejaculation, and if they really are desperate to conceive, then what we can do is actually, in fact, collect their urine post-ejaculation or post-coital urine sample, and then do something called a washing off of the sperm, and then use that spermatozoa to inject it either just into the uterus or to do in vitro fertilization. So, so there are options for, for patients with with retrograde ejaculation. Let me open up the lines for our A-teamers who have questions or comments around ejaculatory issues. Our guest is Dr. Kent Pluck, who's an experienced urologist. Please feel free to ask the questions. It is Closet Conversations after all. Uh, 011-714-2006. That's where you can call in, even as an anonymous. You can also send a WhatsApp to 614 or SMS 41391. Dr. Dr. Pluck, you were uh, taking us through the other sort of uh, ejaculatory problems and uh, the treatments that are available. Yes. So I think the one that one has to touch on is um, with ejaculatory tracts are blocked. And usually this may be as a result of previous infection or something like tuberculosis. And, and, and this problem, of course, is something that needs to be fixed with surgery. So what we can do is what we call a transurethral resection of these ejaculatory ducts and maybe resolve the problem. Um, uh, but like I said, this usually requires a little bit of surgery and often a little bit of further investigations. Often the patient may need to have special investigations uh, with special x-rays and dyes and that type of thing to try and identify exactly where the blockage is. And then we can usually surgically unblock uh, that issue. So that issue of an ejaculation where it's caused by blockage can often be surgically repaired by experienced urologists. Um, and then, of course, the problem of patients who are unable to reach ejaculation. Now, generally speaking, this group of patients is usually, mostly the cause of this is sort of psychological type issues. So often these, or, or they're on special medications for psychiatric issues or for mood disorders, et cetera, et cetera. So a common drug that may cause this, for example, is fluoxetine or Prozac, which many patients are actually on, surprisingly. And this may be a cause of prolonged or inability to actually experience an orgasm. So the simple treatment there would be to identify the medication, and that's why the history, a detailed history with patients with this type of problem is very important try and figure out exactly what's going on. What medication are you on? What surgery have you had? What are you experiencing? You know, are you experiencing any psychological issues? How is your relationship dynamics, etc., etc.? Have you experienced um, orgasms before? Has it been like this for a long time? So all these interrogatory questions are very important. But the point is that often one can identify uh, an issue and, 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 and focus down on it. If it is a medication, then one can stop the medication and try that. And, and sometimes the medication is something as simple as tramadol, a common painkiller pain that is prescribed by GPs. But most, in most cases, especially in a younger patient, this is usually caused by some sort of psychological or relationship issue. Uh, which needs to be addressed, and often that can be a process, you know, that you need to walk alongside the patient, and sometimes the couple, in fact, and not just the patient, mm. and sort of get them through this type of issue. So we must never neglect 
the fact that a lot of sexual dysfunction issues um, is actually caused by not so much a, an organic cause, but often more psychological or psychiatric or um, of, uh, sort of social situational problems that need to be addressed. You know, when you talk of uh, social or situational uh, problems that need to be addressed, I think of premature ejaculation. And I just want to ask, uh, how how important is anxiety, depression, stress, anger? How important are they in the role that they play in causing one to have premature ejaculation? That, that, that is the most important thing. So that's a fantastic question. I mean, that is probably 99% of the cause uh, root cause of premature ejaculation. To be honest, science hasn't done very well in determining the, the precise cause, and I think that is largely because it is due to psychosocial issues and, and like I said, performance anxiety. And often what happens is, you know, that sort of creeps up on men, that's what I've noticed. So, you know, kind of sort of, it happens to him once, it happens to him twice, and then it's sort of in his mind, in his head, and then it starts sort of like a repetitive type of thing. Often, it can be associated with anxiety, depression, feelings of guilt. So you might find that, you know, um, for whatever reason, if someone is feeling guilty of in, uh, having sex, maybe, you know, cultural that they have uh, sex before marriage or anything like that. If they, you know, if they're feeling guilty of, of the sexual act, of doing a sexual act, then sort of, so subconsciously, it wants, they want to get it over and done with. And so that can lead to, to, to premature ejaculation. So, so the most important thing, actually, in fact, in premature ejaculation is first to identify uh, sort of are there any issues that has led up to this problem. The other important thing is with premature ejaculation, we need to actually interrogate the, uh, the how can one say, how real is this premature ejaculation? Because often, you know, there is a... Um, uh, you know the the, the the concept of the, the the idea that men need to last for half an hour or an hour and uh, um, because of pornography and because of you know that type of thing that men need to last so long and often that is not the case most men in fact if you do a you know the studies have shown that most men during normal sexual intercourse will reach um, ejaculation or um, orgasm within two to five minutes that's sort of you know that's almost the norm but men seem to think that this is not the case. So the most important thing is to normalize what is going on. Um, premature ejaculation, by definition, scientifically at least for us, is if you are, you know, if you ejaculate within one minute of 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 of, of penetrative intercourse. So, 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 but most men you might find that that's actually not the case. And, and then you have got to interrogate what the expectations are, and often that is best done with the partner involved. You know. The most important thing with sex, in fact, a healthy sexual relationship is satisfaction for both partners. And often that, you know, the, the male might think he's not satisfying his partner, but if you ask the partner, she says, actually, she's quite happy. So, so you know, not every patient that comes with, you know, inverted commas, premature ejaculation is actually someone who's got premature ejaculation, if that makes sense. No, it does definitely make sense. So there's a lot of things that we need to look into when it comes to premature ejaculation, mental health, uh, situational uh, conditions, and so on. Um, Doc, let, let's go through some measures that uh, one can take for themselves and perhaps as couples to mitigate uh, premature ejaculation. Fantastic. So I think you know, the first thing is for, for, for the couples to be able to speak through this um, sort of 
uh, as a couple and not just just the male, you know, seeking sort of seeking uh, attention or um, advice, medical advice on his own. This is often best done as a couple. But just to go through the basic sort of uh, techniques that one can do to mitigate uh, premature ejaculation or to treat it, there are sort of four mainstays of treatment or management of premature ejaculation, and these include behavioral sort of things. So there's something called a stop-start method, where, you know, the male sort of, you start having intercourse, and when he feels like he's close to, to uh, orgasm, he actually stops, pulls out, relaxes, they just, you know, have a bit of kissing, try and uh, reset, you know, the <laughs> reset the clock, so to speak, and then start again. So that's what we call a stop-start stop, stop method. Then, of course, there's another technique that I think a lot of people in you know, mainstream know about which is what we call the squeeze method or squeeze technique where the, where the male, in fact, before he climaxes, um, stops, withdraws, and then squeezes quite hard on, on the glands or the head of the penis. And that seems then to sort of suppress the feeling of wanting to, to, to climax. And then, of, of course, the third one, which I often recommend to younger men, is masturbation prior to sexual encounters. So either as a couple or on your own privately, um, 10 to 15 minutes or 20 minutes before engaging in the intercourse, masturbating, and that, like I said, it might be with a partner on their own. And that seems to work quite well um, because that usually tends to quell the anxiety, the performance anxiety. Then, of course, the next sort of tier of management is something medical, what we call medical management. And so there are drugs, in fact, that one can use to prolong ejaculation. <clears throat> and like I said, often these are drugs that are actually involved or the cause of patients who have uh, and or difficulty uh, climaxing. So, <clears throat> excuse me. These are things like fluoxetine, tremadol. And then, of course, it's basically in elderly patients, what actually works very well is Viagra or any sort of um, <clears throat> PDE5, what you call PDE5, any bit sildenafil, Cialis, we have Agra, Cialis, those types of medications seem to work quite well. <clears throat> There's also a drug called Depoxetine, which I don't think we have available in, in, in the South African market. And then the last medication that actually has worked, I've seen it work with some patients, is just what we call old school Tramadol. So it's a painkiller, but it seems to work quite well in delaying ejaculation. And then, of course, the third tier of of management, so to speak, would be uh, local or topical anesthetic ointments uh, and double condoms. So what we, do, what we tell the patients there to do is just give them some um, local anesthetic cream or Imla, what we call Imla, Imla cream, uh, which is also used, um, interestingly enough, in kids when you want to give them an injection, you rub this cream on their, on their skin. Uh, after about 10 minutes, the skin's nice and numb, and then you can do what you want to. So that's, of course, some local anesthetic cream. And then uh, the other option is to do something called double condoming or using a thick condom, not this special, uh, you know, the, the expensive super super featherweight condoms. Well, it's called, I think it's called featherweight or something like that that's on the market. Um, so those are no good for someone who's, who's struggling with premature ejaculation. So those are sort of the main three tiers of management of premature ejaculation. And like I said, these things can be managed quite easily. But for me, the fourth tier that I want to speak about is um, family or sort of couple counseling mm. and managing expectations, first of all, and, and often and normalizing what's happening. 
Because what tends to happen, and I find it tends to happen in couples, is that it becomes a, a, a bad cycle. So it's sort of, you know, initially the sex is fantastic, everything's good, both the partners are feeling good. And then, you know, it's stress, for example, work stress, something like that triggers it off where the male ejaculates quickly, uh, and then the partner might not be satisfied, and now he's feeling the pressure. Next time the pressure's on further, he's got stress at work, it's worse. And then suddenly, three or four or five or six months down the line, this guy's like, geez, what the hell happened? You know, I'm just, I've got premature ejaculation. And then you've got to take it back to the drawing board. What started this? Let's normalize this. Let's tell you this is actually normal. A large, up to 50% of couples at some point in their relationship, long-term couples, would have experienced some sort of sexual you know, problems in the bedroom, so to speak. So, you know, to normalize this stuff, I think, take it back to roots. And often just that normalization of what's happening and to say this is the issues, let's address these things, will we'll go a long way to kind of solve these problems. And what I find, what, what I find with patients is that if you, give, if you treat them and it sort of works once or twice, after that, they don't need the treatment anymore. So you might just give them like a local anesthetic cream or some Viagra just to boost them. After that, they all could, in their mind, they, their mind sort of reset. They've got their confidence back. They're not anxious. And, and things run smoothly from there. So th- there's no real need to worry that you could get dependent on the medication that is being uh, prescribed to you for early ejaculation. Generally not, you know. I think, you know, the, you know, the, the big thing is that there is something called, you know, you've got to differentiate between what you call uh, lifelong um, premature ejaculation acquired ejaculation, uh, premature ejaculation, and then sort of variable, natural, variable uh, premature ejaculation. So patients who might, may have lifelong premature ejaculation, or what, we, what I like to call primary premature ejaculation, so in other words, they've always had a problem. Um, those are usually patients who may end up requiring treatment for much longer and may you know, tend to sort of need it uh, on a long-term basis. But that is a small percentage of patients. That is, you know, less than 2%, I would say. Most patients have what you call acquired premature ejaculation. So they initially started not having issues, and then, you know, this sort of thing creeps up on them, and then suddenly now they come and see you with premature ejaculation. And that is the group of patients that, generally speaking, just with a little bit of, you know, a bit of counseling, um, little bit of medication and saying this is just to kickstart you, to reset your mind, it's, you know, that type of thing, get, you, get your mindset right, get your confidence back uh, and, and, and get the partner, the, the relationship you know, on the right note, they tend to not need uh, treatment long term. So there's treatment for individual and for couples. This is very um, comforting. So no one needs to worry. Uh, for those who are on antidepressants or any chronic medication, how could this affect on their ejaculatory uh, health? That's a good question. So uh, there's two parts of that question. So like I said, patients who are on antidepressants often have delayed ejaculation. The other problem with patients who are on antidepressants often have low libido, hand in hand with, um, uh, with prolonged ejaculation. So, so those are quite difficult. You know, those, these patients tend to be difficult to manage, not only because they, they, they have premature um, or delayed ejaculation, but also because often their libido is low 
due to the medication they're taking. So, you know, these are a, a group of, this is a group of patients that tend to be quite difficult to treat and often need specialized uh, treatment. And, and, you know, this type of, this group of patients would best serve by seeing uh, either psychiatrist or someone who specializes in sexual health and sexual uh, medicine. Um, uh, but having said that, there's also, you know, a group of patients that the other problem with patients who are, like I said, experiencing depression and on medication, they also tend to possibly have a little bit of uh, erectile issues go hand in hand with this. So there, these patients are, are sometimes quite difficult to treat. Often we can get over it with, it, with offering them uh, Viagra, or, you know, that type of medication, and that usually sorts the problem out. But um, if they, I've been on, 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 on um, fluoxetine specifically uh, long term, uh, these are this can be quite challenging uh, to get them uh, ejacul- ejaculating early or, you know, or actually experiencing orgasm at all, in fact. And then, of course, one has to look at the psychiatric sort of condition of the patient. Are they experiencing a major depressive episode? Do they need referral to a psychiatric service and uh, that type of thing? Sure. Um, here's a message from Njabulo Dumo. who says, Hi, sis, uh, Nduli and Doc. I was raped when I was eight years old and forced again when I was 21. Now I have no interest in having sex with females at all. Mm. So, uh, Doc, how, how does trauma or traumatic experiences like rape affect a man when it comes to their own sexuality, because this particular A-teamer was raped at the age of eight and at the age of 21. Well, first of all, I was going to commend the, the caller or the person to this and in fact, you know, to, 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 to be brave enough to, 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 to share that. Indeed. And then secondly, to say, you know, empathize dearly with it, that is a terrible thing for any human being to have to go through. Um, but, you know, I think the important thing there is to address the the root cause there. You know, seeking counseling for a seriously traumatic experience in your life is, is, is paramount to dealing with any sexual issues. So, you know, seeking counseling and being able to to um, deal with with with, uh, with, uh, with the rape that occurred, with the trauma that you experienced, um, is in fact probably what you really need to focus on here. Once you've done, once uh, you know, I, I always like I always like to say, you never really deal with this thing completely. You don't you know you don't come to terms with something like that. It's something that you, it's an everyday um, uh, struggle, or well, not a struggle, but it's an every you have to live that out every day. You know, to try and and and, and come to terms with something like that. So so dealing with that issue, seeking professional help, um, professional counseling, uh, post-traumatic uh, counseling is the first thing to do. Um, once we've addressed that problem, then then one can look at, 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 at you know, is there is there a need for, for medication or that type of thing. But often, like I said, in 99% of this type of case, it's medication is not the answer. It's really getting to the root cause, and that would be to deal with the psychological trauma that was experienced at that time. Atima, hmm. uh, um, please, Jabulo um, Duma, get get someone to, to speak to, uh, get some counseling, and I hope, I really do hope and pray that you will be able to 
to get a person who will be able to help you through this uh, the, the, this traumatic experience that you've had so you are able to go back and, and I don't know if it's, I'm saying the right thing if I say go back but you are able to be in tune with yourself sexually um, without any past traumas hindering you I wish you all the best Doc, you know, I'm just so disturbed by the message. And mm. I know when I was just saying to Ben, when we speak of protecting children, when we speak of protecting those who are vulnerable, it's always towards women. And we forget that the boy child can also be vulnerable to rape and violation and molestation. And they grow up with such traumas. And these traumas also affect them as they grow older sexually. 100 percent you know and and, and the, the the issue there of course is that, that, that this is unfortunately a a, a, a I would say common but yeah a common problem in our country and 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 uh, these like you know, these uh, uh, these problems get brought into relationships and often only you know discovered and that you know you have to face it at some point because often those those early traumatic experiences then get um, you know, cause major problems or sexu- sexual problems or problems within se- in sexual relationships later on in life. Uh, and, and so really dealing with the, the root cause is, is where it all starts. Yeah, most definitely, most definitely. Uh, how important is it for couples and individuals who have experienced any sort of trauma or any sort of sexual dysfunction, whether it's premature or prolonged uh, ejaculation, to see a sex therapist? Yeah, I always think that often one can, can you can be quite pragmatic about this, like I said, almost 50% of couples, that show in some studies, it's up to 50% of couples, at some point in a long-term relationship, may experience um, sexual issues, so to speak, sexual dysfunction. And so you can think that this is a very common problem. And, and I would say, it's no, it's not, you know, if you're in a, in a good, healthy, stable relationship, um, you can, if you're able to talk about it, talk through it, um, then you may find that you can actually get past this. Um, but if it becomes, you know, when it starts becoming a problem in the relationship, we actually start wanting to leave the relationship, or it's causing interpersonal problems. So often, you know, there's a simple, you know, sort of way one can, uh, can, can identify these issues. So if someone is, um, if it's causing interpersonal difficulty, if it's causing distress within the relationship or within the, with the individual itself, then I think that is at the point where one needs to certainly then uh, seek professional advice. Let me read a message here from uh, an ATMO who says, Good evening, Patricia. What I normally do is when I have intercourse with my girlfriend, I try to put my mind on something else while we are having sex. That makes me to ejaculate after a much longer time. It works for me and more pleasure for me and my girlfriend. Well, it sounds like a winning formula for them. <laughs> Not fantastic. To, yeah, fantastic. So, is this a trick that people can use to prolong? Yes, I think uh, I think many many men may may use that. And and you know that Patricia, that's an important point uh, that uh, that the listener brings about that. You've got to find things that work for you. You know, you've got to find things that work for you. And if it works for you and it works for your partner, then 
That is fantastic. That's all that counts. And the most important thing here, what we really want, is two individuals who are satisfied. Satisfied in their relationship, satisfied sexually, um, emotionally, you know, in all aspects. And when that, and that works, then, then, then whatever works for you, that, that, that's fine. <laughs> you know what mm, I mean? Mm. Mm, I definitely agree with you, Doc. Doc, are there any sort of foods or drinks that uh, uh, males should be avoiding or even eating more of to make sure that they, you know, have healthy ejaculations? Yeah, I mean, look, uh, there's always a lot of talk about uh, uh, sort of uh, cranberry juice being good for the prostate and that type of thing and good for general uh, male uh, sort of genitourinary health male and female. Uh, look, there's no real evidence to support that, but there's nothing ever. I can't see anything wrong with drinking cranberry juice. It's delicious and nutritious, so go ahead and do that. Um, um, but also, I think, you know, the important thing is to keep healthy body, healthy mind. So, general things, if you keep, you know, what I usually find is patient, patients or individuals who look after their health in general seem to be more satis- sexually satisfied. So, Healthy body, healthy mind, you know, exercise well, eat healthily, avoid excessive alcohol or smoking because those things certainly do affect sexual performance. So, you know, often some guys might say, look, if you have one glass of wine, it relaxes them, and in fact they perform better sexually. But certainly if you're having three, four, five glasses of of whiskey or wine, it's going to affect your performance sexually. Mm -hmm. Smoking, unfortunately, is a common one. It negatively affects your performance. uh, sexual performance and like I said very importantly something like diabetes you know we, we think diabetes no one really focuses on the on the um, sexual consequences of diabetes and unfortunately there's a there's a lot of consequences so um, looking after your diabetes because it will affect your erections it also will affect like I said your ejaculations at some point so so those types of things looking after your chronic disease um, is it, it's just as important as eating healthily and, and um, you know, exercising. Um, other than that, there's no real specific um, food, I would say, that, you know, often people talk about these aphrodisiacs you know, in, in food and that type of thing, but there's nothing proven to say this is going to really improve your sexual health. Obviously, Mediterranean diet is, 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 is fantastic to stay healthy, but I think that's just, if you can maintain general well-being and health that is probably the most important thing to kind of aid and improve sexual function there's a message from an a-teamer doc that says um hi pat please tell the doc there that we've tried the start and stop or squeeze what what technique but he'll complain of testicle pain afterwards so i presume this is the partner uh what could Mm. be the problem Mm. i mean (laughs) So usually, uh, you know, I actually have heard that before. It's not the first time I've heard that. It's not that common. But I, I'm not exactly sure. I can't explain it scientifically. My mind would say that perhaps when you squeeze that, and then you kind of block up the ejaculatory ducts and maybe you get a bit of retrograde traveling, and that's what causes aching of the testes. But uh, I can't give you a, a, a definitive biological answer there, to be honest. <laughs> I would just be sort of making these things up or sort of sucking at my thumb a little bit. But could um, it be a cause for concern then? No. So certainly not, you know. Um, I don't think it's anything to be concerned about. 
but it's not really um, pointing towards anything specifically wrong. I would say that if the stop start and squeeze technique is not working for you, try something else. Mm. Like I said, I would just reiterate what those other things are. So the one is couple masturbation prior to sexual intercourse um, or private masturbation, uh, the use of local anesthetic creams, um, which you can, in fact, nowadays either buy the anesthetic cream itself, like the Himmler patch, or, in fact, you can actually get it in the condoms. I have seen condoms that have sort of a local anesthetic. That you have to, the problem with that is you have to sort of put it on five minutes beforehand for the local anesthetic to work. But certainly that is another, another option. Okay, so there are options. Um, how do our A-teamers get in touch with you for uh, some uh, checkups and advice, Doc? So, I mean, I'm based in Cape Town, and certainly if anybody would want to, to get further information, you can uh, look me up on, on the, the internet, uh, the website, and of course then you can always email our offices, which is info at drkentcluck.com. Simple as that. the easiest way to get in touch with me, yeah. Thank you very much, Dr. Kent. It's been such a great pleasure. Thank you for your time. Please go and rest. No, absolute pleasure. And uh, thank you so much for having me on the show and to the listeners. Um, I always sort of give them one piece of advice that, you know, sexual sexuality and sexual satisfaction is as important as, you know, staying healthy and exercising. So if you're having issues, seek help. Most definitely. Thank you very much. That was Dr. Kent Pluck, who's an experienced urologist, helping us there in our closet conversations. A-teamers, let's play some great music.